Welcome to another edition of Mass Mats and Mayhem. I am your host, Justin Harvey. You can find me on Twitter at JustinHarvey75. I'm also joined by my co-host, Byron Turk. Uh, Byron, Mark Turk, whatever. I've got his microphone muted, so this is the best part of the show for me. You can find him on Twitter at Byron Fever. You can find my other co-host, Casey Nielsen, on Twitter at Lucha Gringo, because that's the one place where he can actually get the tag at Lucha Gringo. And we are joined today by a very special guest that uh, Byron acquired for us because he was trying to get one of these t-shirts or something. I don't know exactly how the whole thing went down, but we will find out. He is uh, the producer of one of my favorite Mark Burnett shows, um, and he's been doing this for a long time, guys. It's Matt Van Wag... Matt... No, wait, Byron, you got the wrong you got the wrong Van Wagnon. It's not the Survivor guy. Oh, well, uh, this is for the Survivor podcast. Why wouldn't I have the Survivor guy? No, you got that I've seen their pictures before. This is Eric Van Wagnon. That's not Matt Van Wagnon. Huh? What's the difference? Well, not much. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to tell us. Uh <laughs> Let's uh, let's stall. Have Casey write up new questions and pretend it was on purpose. All right. Well, Casey, Byron botched this one. I'm sorry, dude. We'll have to change the questions here. <laughs> you good with that? It's all right because I don't know shit about Survivor, uh, but I am quite the Lucha Underground fan. Oh, I've seen I've seen every episode of Survivor and Big Brother. I'm a I'm a reality show mark, but that's because I work in reality TV, and so does Byron. You're like hoity-toity screenwriter or whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah, I guess we're going to be joined by Eric Van Wagnon since uh, Byron couldn't figure out how to get Matt Van Wagnon on the show. Uh, you there, Eric? Welcome. Right. Am I talking? Can you hear yes. me? Yes, talking. You guys well, are so I guess this is okay <laughs> because you do have Survivor as one of your credits too, right? Yeah, um, but, you know, my I, I'm actually, I have two brothers, Mike and Matt, and I answered both names, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're close in age. And, uh, yes, it is... Uh, it is tough when your brother also has a show on Wednesday nights at eight that draws like twelve million, and oh. uh, yours is significantly lower. But uh, we trend. Well, I guess they do too. But um, he's a big pussy because uh, <laughs> you know he stays uh, safe under the network television umbrella and he doesn't take the big risks in life. Um, so I, uh, you can get him. I think he's probably sitting around doing nothing right now. Well, I, I you know. I am a big Survivor fan, um, but at the same time, I think we're definitely happier to have you here. We are all huge fans of the Lucha Underground show and some of the other stuff that you've done. Um, your IMDb tells me, and I never know how accurate these things are, so feel free to yell at someone who's not me. Um, but you've done what, Survivor, Amazing Race, Apprentice, Celebrity Apprentice, Contender, WWE Tough Enough, uh, The Challenger, Muay Thai, Bully Beatdown with Maya Miller, right? Yeah, that was a fun uh, one. Love Jason. He's he's a homie from back in the day. Uh, WWE Legends House, yep. Lucha Underground, and of course the upcoming Celebrity Apprentice, which has yet to air, which will be your next big giant thing, right? Yeah, that'll be the next thing I, I ask you to retweet uh, in a couple <laughs> of months. Uh, but, uh, yeah, those were the ones uh, from the last 15 years. There was some dumb stuff back in the 90s, but um, once How do you, you get know, rid of the dumb stuff from the 90s? Because all my dumb stuff from the 90s is still on there. I can't get uh, rid I, of that shit. I don't know why. I think people just stopped paying attention to it. It was a lot of like, I don't know if you remember, like Maximum Exposure. Do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? You remember that? Wow, that's old school. Wild Things. Do you remember Wild Things? Remember that? That was UPN back then. UPN Network. 
University um, of Paramount. Just These guys of... are probably too young to even remember the UPN. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. SmackDown was on UPN, bro. Come on. All right. I All think right. you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff, but but I only really started counting it once once uh, we started doing this crazy reality TV stuff. All right, well, so the, the obvious transition question here is, before we get into, I know what everyone wants to talk about that's watching this show is probably Lucha Underground, but I, I'm, I am a little curious about how you kind of got there. You, you were originally an editor or whatnot, because I, I come from the field side of things, and mm-hmm. obviously I've gotten nowhere in life, so my trajectory was terrible. So why don't you <laughs> tell us like a good, a good fantasy story of, of how you can sit and post in a bay and get somewhere in life? It, you know, I was really, I was a post supervisor for a long time. And I worked on a lot of different stuff from like movie trailers and, and movie EPKs and, and um, you know, bad studio promotional stuff. And uh, I kind of saw what editors were doing and how they were, they were getting paid like uh, they, were pay, they were getting paid more than producers and, and, and they were getting paid by the hour so they didn't have to work crazy sick hours. And uh, I just remember quitting my job. Uh, in the summer of 97, it said, I'm going to go learn how to edit. And I took, you know, my uh, unemployment money and I put it for an Avid class and I, I learned how to edit. And uh, I called up some editors that I used to hire and I said, hey, just let me come in and work at night. And and after a couple of weeks, I can't edit. You can cut me loose and, and I'll go back and do something else. And um, this was like in the late 90s, right as reality TV was just starting to, to, to sort of uh, be kind of, come on out of the shadows and, and networks were looking at things like that and um, worked for a guy named Bert Van Munster on something called Wild Things, which was Bert Van Munster then went on to do The Amazing Race. Race yeah. um, and I just remember working on a, a couple of things and like uh, an editor friend of mine said, hey, I just got hired to go uh, edit a show in Borneo. And he said, you know, they're, they're doing this crazy thing where they're taking like 16 people and they're throwing them on an island and we're building edit bays on the island <laughs> and and uh it's they're spent it's a network show and they're throwing a ton of money at it and you got to come try and get on it and come to borneo with me and uh i went and i interviewed with mark burnett and craig Pelligian. um yeah, my former boss which is how i got into it yeah because he and mark had a falling out after survivor one and craig went on to do pilgrim and you know i mean you can that's a whole different soap opera. A whole different ball game. But hey, that's how I got into the business. So I can't, yeah, I'm glad they had a falling yet. out. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't get hired by them. So they, they wouldn't hire me because I didn't have any network experience. And um, But what I did see is they, they showed me the first 10 minutes of the cold open of Survivor Season 1, like about four months before it had actually aired. And I just remember having this epiphany and this life-changing moment of thinking like, this is this is going to change television and I need to get involved with these people and I need to do stuff for them and I'll do whatever it takes to like be in the front of this wave of TV, which I could completely see was going to just change the business. And so I, um, at about the same time, amazing race one was turned on and I got a job working uh, night editor shift over there. Um, and so I worked there for a couple of seasons, season one, two and three, I think, and then um, got to know some of the network people and sort of elbowed my way into, you know, I think I interviewed with uh, Survivor uh, four times before they finally hired me and uh, got to come on there um, and met Mark Burnett, got, got in well with, you know, really good with Mark Burnett. And you have to understand Mark Burnett is a guy that, that um, 
saw the value of editing at a very early phase, probably before a lot of other people saw it. And, you know, with the invention of the Avids, which, uh, you know, for people who aren't in television, um, an editing system was created that it was basically uh, upgrading post-production from a typewriter to a computer. Yeah, it was uh, a you huge, could, huge, you, huge it revolutionized post-production and it revolutionized the kind of television that you could make where you could just take something and build it and change it and swap it around. And whereas before you had to edit shows completely linearly from, you know, shot one, shot two, shot three, you couldn't jump ahead. You couldn't. Yeah. And while you were doing that, that, we were still over at Pilgrim doing paper cuts on everything first. And well, that I started doing paper. I mean, I was, you know, that those of us who started TV in the, in, you know, I started in 1990, you know, that's what producers did. We did paper cuts and it, it left side had, uh, the the um, video and the right side had the audio and you would do your radio cut and you would cut in all the other stuff and it just it was labor intensive and it took for um, there's just too much changing too much things that were changing so I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time I met Mark Burnett he understood the value of editing there was a period of time where he was going around town just snatching up every good editor in LA and throwing contracts at them and money at them and and it was a great time uh, to be in television in the early to the early aughts, as they say. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, he would, um, you know, he had he had Survivor on the air, which I, you know, season one it drew I think seventy five million viewers for its finale. I mean, that's like Super Bowl numbers in in the U.S. And then he followed it up with The Apprentice, which had I think forty something million for their season one finale. And he he could do no wrong. And you know, people were just throwing money at him. Um, I, I was going back and forth between Amazing Race and Survivor and was kind of elbowing my way into producing the stuff that I was editing. I liked to be out in the field a little bit and wanted to, to do it that way. I got involved with Contender as the supervising editor on that show. Um, and that was like, you know, it, it, that was so different, you know, to be able to work um, with real boxers, real professionals. And the thing that I really loved about it is it had real world stakes, you know, um, Sergio Mora, who won season one of Contender, went on to win the WBC title. Title, um, yeah. You know, there were, this really affected these guys. This changed, you know, these guys would go from making, you know, $2,000 a fight to, you know, at the worst case, they were making $25,000, $50,000 a fight. So there was real world consequences to, to the show. And so that actually kept the reality part of it true. It changes the it changes the game for you too. Like I worked on the old tap out show, yeah, and you know we saw those fighters. Like I, I met Cowboy Cerrone when he was nobody, and look at that guy now. He's like trying to get a, a title fight, and he's you know one of the biggest stars in the UFC. And we had a few of those guys on, and it was life changing for them. And that's yeah. when you realize that reality TV, regardless of what people see out there, it's not the hot tub reality stuff that we're talking yeah. about. But yeah. this other stuff can really change lives and, and really having an impact and effect absolutely and in the power of television you know you don't need to go any further with my experience with donald trump you know the power of television uh is significant and it's real and now it's changing you know the, the tv business is changing with all the different delivery systems but like you said with the tap out show you know bully beatdown the show that, that little mtv show that i did um you know, I could list the names of the fighters that came on for us, and it's sort of who's who in the UFC right now. I mean, we had Eddie Alvarez did, I think, three different episodes for us. Um, I had Tyron Lue came on. I mean, not Tyron Lue. That's the basketball player. Tyron Woodley came on the he show. Uh, he beat somebody up. Um, we also had uh, Dan Cormier when he was like 2-0. and oh. 
we put him on the show. That was all. I went to uh, Big John McCarthy, who was our referee for Bully Beatdown and our consultant. And I said to him, I need a couple of guys that nobody knows now, but will be world champions someday. He gave me two phone numbers, Tyron Woodley and Dan Cormier. And he said, these guys are the real deal. Dude, Big John is so ridiculously oh. smart. That's amazing. He's like, the the And he's the it. coolest guy, too. I mean, he's always the coolest guy in the room. And and uh, you know, I think honestly, that's where I first saw Cormier was on Bully Beatdown. I don't know if I had seen his. Other I think it was his first televised fight, and 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 um, <laughs> you know, it was a really, it was a really fun episode, and it, it was on the last season, and they only aired a couple of times. But I'd love to. I, I think I have it somewhere, but but I I wish that that was out there on YouTube and stuff because it was a really funny episode, and and he was a really good guy, and. And, uh, you know, all those guys were great and mayhem was great and crazy and unfiltered and funny. And, and, um, you know, a lot of the guys that did Bully Beatdown, you go through the, if you go through the IMDb page, probably half the people who worked on Bully Beatdown are working on Lucha Underground right now. Which um, is good. Cause that's a great show. I loved it. I know Casey too, didn't you Case? Yeah, I did. I watched that shit all the time. Oh, it's so great. I think I still have your application, Casey. I think, you know, you were going to bring Byron on. We were going to be, you know, you seem too pathetic. Yeah. He's always need- bullying me on the show. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, we, we need had to guys do try to sneak through. You know, we used to have ringers that would try to sneak through, like unknown <laughs> MMA fighters. And, and they were trying to, like, they thought, hey, shit, I could be on MTV. And if I put up a competitive fight, somebody's going to see me. So probably we would get a lot of guys who were trying to fake that they were bullies just so that they could come in and get a fight with one of our guys. And, and uh, I would catch them. You know, we would catch them. We would have them in the audition. We would have them uh, hit a bag. You know, we had a bag hanging uh, in our audition room. And, uh, and we'd say, okay, let me see, you know, if you're really – let me see how you hit that bag. And there's, like, certain clues that you can pick up on when somebody who's trained – you know, how they punch back, how their feet stand, what, you know, what they do with, wh- which one they lead with, you know, right. somebody they comes lead, in and they he tucks his right hand here and he's and... throwing a jab and he's stepping on it. And like, I'm like, okay, that guy's a, that guy's a ringer. <laughs> um, and, and so we had to kind of like watch out for that. And a couple of them got through and we didn't figure it out right away. And that's when we would, we would punish those guys. Like we had a guy who, um, <laughs> Uh, he'd snuck through and he was a jiu-jitsu guy and he'd training and we were going to have him with one of the king of the cage guys who maybe wasn't so good and then I started to get nervous because I was watching him warm up and whatever and so we did a quick switcheroo and we gave him Eddie Alvarez and he got picked up. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> and All right. you can see it on his face. He's standing there and, and uh, he thinks like this is my big moment. I'm going to beat up a, a, a fighter and Eddie Alvarez comes out and he just goes and he turns to McCarthy and he goes you fucking gave me Eddie Alvarez. <laughs> he just got the shit kicked out of him. It was a great episode. So what do, what do we do with, with Miller now? Because I saw his fight over in Europe where he missed weight by an entire weight class. Wait, no. He missed weight for the weight class, a full weight class above the weight the class. Greatest he was supposed thing, to be the for. greatest thing about that is he comes over, he steps on it, and then he steps off and he takes off his shorts. Like that was going to make a difference. <laughs> oh, I lost it. And me and Casey were talking about that on the podcast that week. And it's yeah. like, you know, I go back with Mayhem too. And we got him on the, uh, the American Ninja Warrior, the first season that Pilgrim did. And we oh, had him on yeah. there. I think it was right after Bully Beat Down. And yeah, he did. He finished the course, I think. Of the first oh, yeah, season. he finished. He, he, he was actually in one of the top times that day, but then some, a bunch of people beat the time the next day. So, But he yeah. actually did finish. I mean, he's he a professional He probably athlete. didn't train for it at all. I mean, the guy's a real athlete. I mean, yeah. 
uh, and he has that kind of re- ridiculous strength. You know, he, he just um, uh, he's a great guy. And, you know, I know he's he's fallen on some hard times and, you know, trying to get some stuff going, whatever. But I, I'll always be loyal to him. I always try and help him. I actually, you know, I'm, I'm keeping an eye open. Maybe I think I could find a part for him on uh, Lucha Underground or something. Hey, like I'd that. love to see it, man. Make sure we'll guy right there. He's What's the that? plumbing. The, the limo guy. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. I don't know how Spanish is, but 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 uh, Jason's a good guy. He just needs to, you know, he just needs to stay focused. And I think, you know, like a lot of fighters, when they when they retire, they get a little lost. They kind of don't always know um, what the next thing for them is. Well, and that's why I was excited to see him fighting over in Europe. I was like, you know, maybe this will get Jason back into the the swing of things. And I think he was for that fight. It's just the the making weight thing was just not a part of it mentally for him. But the fighting and being back into it and promoting properly and showing up to the events and doing all the other stuff and at least, you know, making the way in entertaining, if nothing else, even though it's kind of an insult to the other guy. Yeah. But you know, it was it was still like, okay, good. Jason is, you know, he's doing something productive today. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought he'd make a good coach because, you know, when he was on The Ultimate Fighter, he actually was a real sound coach, I thought. You know, he he um, uh, he's good with fighters. He understands it. He's good uh, technically. He's he, he can remove the emotion from it, you know, and drive the robot, as he says. And, I, you know, I think maybe there's some future for him in coaching, or at least I would hope so. I hope so, too. Um what so then I guess the the most relevant question here with your previous TV background is how did you get involved with these WWE shows because obviously that's that translates to this whole thing but were they seeing you from those shows and saying okay this is the guy to come and and do something involving wrestling like how did you get in that whole world uh it was a kind of a very roundabout way and initially I think they approached um Mark Burnett um to do tough enough and, you know, the, the thing about Mark Burnett is, is um, he is um, always the guy that gets the better end of the deal when you make a show with him. And Vince McMahon is always the guy that gets the better end of the deal when you make a deal with him. So there was a development guy that had put WWE together with Mark Burnett. And he actually said to me, he called me, he said, I'm bringing WWE in. Uh, would you want to be considered for this project if Mark, if Mark does the project? I said, sure. You know, I just finished Contender. I think I was in the middle of Bully Beatdown. And I, you know, they, you know, a development guy at a, at a TV, um, at a TV production company doesn't see the difference. He sees, you know, oh, it's a ring, right? Right. You can shoot one ring and shoot another. So, you know, that guy knows how to set up cameras around a ring. So, um, so why not Eric? And evidently the negotiations between Mark Burnett and WWE didn't go very well, which doesn't surprise me a bit. Um, But that executive then went over to shed media, which was sort of at the time, a smaller production house. And he brought WWE in there and then they made a deal with WWE. And then he just called me anyway. At the time um, I was on hiatus and I didn't really have, um, I was just sort of chilling out at home looking for the next gig. And, um, I went in to, to interview and, and I got the job, not, not knowing more about wrestling than, you know, I watched a lot of it in the early 80s, you know, and so it, it was, um, it was a, I had to learn very quickly that, that wrestling is very different from other professional combat sports, from, from MMA and from boxing, and that, that there's a different um, mentality 
uh, with wrestlers and people around wrestling. And it was shocking at first. Like I, I was scratching my head so many times, you know, like, like, like what the fuck are these guys doing? You know, it was, we would try and do a scene and, and everybody was getting their shit in and I'd be like, guys, we got to get out of here, you know, and, <laughs> and, they're and all just I, <laughs> my cameras are going into overtime. I just need you to, to, you know, close this down. You know, I'd tell Bill DeMott, like, Bill, I just need you to close the scene. And he would come in and, you guys are blowing it. You know, and he'd go on for 20 minutes before, and then Booker had to get his shit in and then everybody, and it was like this, you know, everybody was cutting promos on everybody all the time and it would go, you know, your cameras would be falling into overtime and my line producer would be freaking out. And, and, and I just didn't understand the mentality of, you know, as they say, getting your shit in. And, right. and um, so there's a lot of those kind of wrestling terms and ways that wrestlers behave on camera and it's just what they're used to. I mean, WWE, everybody fights to get in front of that camera and they don't give it up when they do. Um, so, so um, I started to understand that, understand um, um, the way WWE worked and they had a guy on set all the time that was making sure we weren't pulling the curtain back too far. Um, mm -hmm. And when we would do something, he would step in and say, uh, uh, can't show that. Well, uh, that's tough that. too, because that show, the kind of the purpose of it was to educate the audience and to bring people in and whatnot and and you're getting an education at the same time but yeah knowing the line between uh real life and kayfabe and what's a shoot and what's a work and how the whole thing's going to go down that would be a nightmare i mean like just as fans we have trouble figuring some of that stuff out but you had to actually protect it and be one of the guardians and disseminators of it that's tough. yeah and and you know the thing that i did um which looking back was was probably the right call but but i just let it be steve's show you know, like there was, Steve was here and everybody else was down here, you know, and, and uh, um, when you have Stone Cold Steve Austin, I mean, th that's not a hard decision to make. It's just like, oh, of course, Steve's here. He's going to, he's going to guide this show. It's right. going to be his show. So Casey, um, help me out here. How exactly do you think Steve Austin would talk to Eric Van Wagenen back when they were making this show? <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Oh, put me on the spot. I've never put you on the spot. What are you talking about? Uh, <clears throat> well, Eric, this girl just said her favorite fucking match was Alicia Fox and Molina. I didn't even know what to fucking say. <laughs> My favorite. You're favorite. not that far. Dude, you're really not that far <laughs> off. Because when we shot that scene... I said to him, I go, just grill him. I go, you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and when you think that somebody, and I go, eventually someone will trip up and someone will fuck up so bad that you won't have a choice. And so, you know, as we say, you know, when you do these kind of shows, you know, the house always wins. If you put people in front of camera long enough and you let them talk and you make them nervous and you stress them out, somebody's going to step on their own dick. Right. And, and <laughs> For sure. every time, every time, you know, he did that thing and he was, he was poking him, you know, and he was going down and he was getting Eric Watts and Eric Watts was cool as a cucumber, man. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get thrown by any of this. And I forget who the other one was that, uh, that girl, Johnny Fairplay's wife or whoever it was, the top model girl. And I think it was, then it was, um, um, Arian and, in fairness to Arians, she didn't know shit about wrestling. They they had see, they seeked her out, and she was like a fitness model or something, and they brought her in, one of those models that they brought in to say, like, okay, pretend that you always wanted to be a wrestler. And she was one of their casted persons, and uh, they were going to sign her to a deal anyway and send her to Florida. And so she didn't 
know much about wrestling at the time and she's just a few weeks in so she'd probably her favorite match she'd watched two weeks before we started shooting and and as soon as she said that uh you know steve does his you know great reaction and i i catch just this little look from him like okay she did it and and he of course let her go and then he walks off the stage he goes god damn i can't keep that girl on the show if she says that's your favorite fucking match <laughs> you know <laughs> and it was really it was very much like your impression casey it was just like she hung herself you know and, and, oh, and it's <laughs> awesome because she got on the main roster and she was trying to pin people laying on their stomach like kamala and shit yeah like she know that oh so great hey, she showed <laughs> us man she's the one that stuck around the longest so i i i give her credit you know she was durable uh yeah. she didn't let that stop her and, and you know say what you will she she spent more time on the wwe roster than any of the other people on that uh uh, on that cast. Well, and that's one of the crazy things about wrestling because half of it is just honest to God about gumption. Like, what do you have inside you to keep going and dealing with the business and putting yourself over constantly and always working at it? Like that, it just wears on a lot of these guys and hitting the open road and just everything. But yeah, I mean, I am not surprised that sometimes the most shameless people can get over and stay around forever because they just have that internal gumption for whatever reason. Exactly. And, you know, that show spawned a few people that I'm glad I met at the time. I mean, it was, um, you know, there, there there was a lot of people that aren't necessarily a good fit for WWE, but it doesn't mean that their talent doesn't come through and that you don't see something in them that you think you can use, you know, in a, in a different format. And thank God I did that show because, um, you know, a lot of the, the best talent from Lucha Underground, you know, that's how I made that connection. Well, mm -hmm. so now before we leave your your, your reality career, because I do want to definitely talk about Lucha Underground. Mm -hmm. um, there's an elephant in the room. Oh, a big, big orange-haired elephant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your take <laughs> on it? And, and I gotta ask you too, with your with your previous associations with that product, did that doesn't hurt? You know, your Latino viewership of Lucha Underground, does it? Uh. Good question. You know, uh, when that whole thing, I'd never heard it. Like, I've heard him say some crazy stuff. I, I'd never heard him <laughs> take on an, you know, an entire culture before. Uh, uh, yeah, and I'm afraid way, if he builds a wall that it's going to go right through Boyle Heights. I, I want to make sure that I'm on the, the temple yeah. side of the wall, no matter what happens here. <laughs> I mean, anyone who lives in California or from California knows that that would absolutely collapse the California economy if you build that wall. I mean, you'd be paying uh, $25 for a basket of, uh, of strawberries and there'd be fruit rotting on the trees uh, in the, through the central coast. I mean, it's such an, an insane, asinine thing to even suggest. Oh, yeah. Um, I, planted, I planted fruit trees as soon as he said it. I got a ton of them. <laughs> I'm ready for this. It's cold in them trees. Um, but, but you know what? Um, this is what I'll say. You know, I, I always say that there's there's two things that make a great reality TV contestant. You know, it's one of them is uh, a lack of filter and zero self-awareness. And um, those two things um, live in Mr. Trump, definitely. Um, and they make a, they met, that's what makes him a great uh, reality TV host. But I'm not sure that that makes him a great leader of the free world. Um, and, uh, you know, I, none of us were expecting this, you know, we, we, we were sort of actually preparing, um, for another season when he announced, um, had no idea that, that it would uh, pick up the momentum that it does. But, you know, the guy is, um, he has the ability to, uh, um, 
marshal the troops. You know, he has an ability to stir people up and say things that that people maybe are afraid to say. Um, you know, without getting too political, because I, I know that there's a lot of people that really love and respect him. Uh, it was as big a surprise to us as it as it was to anybody else. Mm -hmm. I think honestly that it was as big a surprise to him. I mean, when I heard it announced, I was like, "Sweet, that's going to be more reality money for all of us because he's going to run for four or five months, and then he's going to be right back on Apprentice, and we're all going to have jobs." Like it right? was not a bad yeah. thing to me the first day. I, I did not think it was going to keep going, and I swear. There's a point when he's in those debates kicking the crap out of like 11 other candidates where he's looking around like, shit, I'm really in this thing. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I, I have a theory. I have a theory that, that what he wanted to do was to, to um, mobilize, you know, a little hardcore 10% of the Republican Party. And then he wanted to wait around long enough to where there was like two candidates left. And then he could take his little block and he could give it to one of the other two. And that way he would own a president. He wouldn't necessarily have right. to yeah. be a president. The well, goal. there's another theory that he was doing the campaign to raise a profile for his hotels or even get a better contract with Burnett. Um, <laughs> you know, I, know. I, I saw that and that, I mean, that, that, that made me laugh. I mean, you know, <laughs> look, you know <laughs> if that's the case, I would have been announcing my, I announced my own candidacy. For president. <laughs> I, no negotiation. I would like, to, pay get more more. I'm I'd like to get more money out of NBC too, but uh, no, it was, it was definitely a surprise. In fact, I was headed to the airport to go have lunch with Snooki when I got the call that NBC had fired him and that the season was off. And there was a lot of us out of work after that. I mean, it was oh. like, it's like, Oh shit, really? Okay. Well, let's hope this Lucha thing sticks around for a while. Well, so <laughs> is that, is that when Lucha came to your doorstep? Like, no, it would Lucha's. be clean seasons, actually. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Apprentice doesn't shoot because of uh, Donald's schedule. We couldn't shoot it more than once a year, and sometimes it was like a year and a half. So uh, it was it was the kind of thing that, that uh, Mark had approached me about and said, hey, just take a look at this, see if it's anything we want to do. Um, you know, try to see how you would staff it, see who's out there, uh, do some location scouting, um, you know, meet with the different partners, just do kind of like a feasibility thing. And in a couple months, I'm going to ask you if we should do it or not. And it was literally, I was sort of wrapping up apprentice while I was doing that. Um, I remember taking a call from Trump tower uh, with all the investors, you know, talking about whether we should do it. And I had this big, you know, they'd given us our air date and it was like nine months later. I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? I need a job. So I'm like, Mark, we should do this wrestling show. I think, <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it'll be the like best idea ever. It'll be great. And I'm happy to take it on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we kind of needed, there was a bunch of us who needed a job. So, um, but you know, I say that like, you know, it wasn't that flippant. I mean, you know, we, we definitely saw that there was a need there and that there was a, there was a market there that if we played it right and we just sort of went where WWE wasn't that we, we could probably carve out uh, at least uh, at the very least I knew there would be a passionate fan base. I didn't know how big they would be, but I knew they'd be into it. And, you know, I learned that from uh, um, tough enough, you know, that season, you know, that was like uh, with a show that's on USA network that really doesn't promote wrestling on their network um, through word of mouth and through advertising on, on uh, raw, you know, we, I think we do four and a half million for a premiere, which for a cable show is, is, is unheard of. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. So right. I, I, I knew that like, if you build it, they will come. That's kind of the attitude with wrestling fans. They'll check it out. They may hate it. They may hate you for doing it, but they will at least check it out.
Well, I mean, I when I heard about it, I was stoked because I was just like, whoa, holy crap. These are a bunch of my people from one side getting involved with a bunch of my people from the other side. <laughs> and it's just like, why Why is this? Ha I was baffled. Like I saw a reporter in Variety or someplace or a Hollywood reporter months before the show actually started taping, I think, yeah. about your name was in it, I think, and Burnett's and Rodriguez. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? This can't be real. This is going to totally fail. This has got to be someone's pipe dream. This is just like some pilot idea. Never is going to mm -hmm. make air. Well, and then, yeah, uh, and, th and that was, that, you're right, though, because, you know, one problem I always had on, on Tough Enough and on Legends House is how do you, how do you mix TV people with yeah. wrestling people because it's like it's oil and water sometimes and there's a natural distrust there uh wrestling people think that tv people are are are, are um uh, don't get it and they're stupid and they don't they don't they don't um pay attention to the wrestling details that you need and you know it's kind of like the wrestling society x the mtv kind of did the you know you just kind of i'll oh, just make it just change the 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 rules of the subculture for the television you can't do that you kind of have to honor the rules of the subculture and by the same token you know uh tv people think sometimes get the idea that you know wrestling is is um uh you know beneath them or it, it's low rent or you know it's like uh oh these people think it's real and you know it's not those things but you know there are there are a lot of sort of misconceptions between the two groups and that's why you know i was looking for people like dj who who you know who worked in both worlds and he could speak both languages and chris roach same thing you know so mm -hmm. i tried to find as many people that we could bring in that uh had uh you know a foot in 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 both worlds and i thought that would be the only way we could really pull it off well so but i still have to ask you because to this day i am still completely baffled as to how you actually pull this off because this is, uh, you know, being a TV person myself, I'm used to working for these companies like you were with Burnett, where like mm. at the end of the day, Burnett's the guy who's got the final say. He may let you control the whole thing all day long, but if he's got something to say at 6 p.m., he's going to say it. And that's going to be what happens. You know, I worked for Pelagian, same kind of deal. But there's this mini headed, top heavy kind of monster going on yeah. with Lucha Underground. And we're always speculating and so baffled. You know, you've got... Dorian sending guys up from AAA. You've got MGM trying to market things. You know, you got Underground LLC, which are the the rich uh, Mexican the, partners, right? And so, agenda. Yeah. like, who makes these decisions? Are you Vince McMahon? Who's running it? Because it's not set up like a regular wrestling business. So I don't think anyone out there who mm. knows TV or wrestling has any idea how things are actually run inside Lucha Underground. And I don't know how much you can pull back the curtain, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, where does, where does the buck stop? Does it stop on your desk? Does it stop on Dorian's desk, Rodriguez, Burnett, you know, the, the LLC, DJ, like who, who has to deal with all this stuff? Uh, usually I, I mean, I have to deal with a lot of the, the, um, uh, managing of the different partners. I, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, the, the, the buck stops with me all the time. I'm not claiming to be the, the you know, I have bosses. Um, my thing is, is, you know, and the beauty of doing a show like this for someone like for, you know, there's two, there's two things at play here, which actually work to our benefit. Mark Burnett, um, produces the voice. He produces survivor. He produces the apprentice. He's got the Bible stuff that he does. He does, uh, uh, shark tank. Like we are so far down the food chain at the MGM family that he doesn't really want to be bothered with a lot of the details. I mean, I check in with him, I send him updates and, and I send him cuts 
I don't know if he watches them. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I'm guessing he probably doesn't. I don't think he has enough hours in the day um, to really deal with it. Now, his, his personal assistant is a total mark, and she loves Lucha Underground. She comes to almost every taping. So she's constantly, you know, and I was like, oh, you want to bring 10 friends? Come VIP. Let's get you beer. You want food? You want T-shirts? Whatever. I always hook her up because I know when the shit hits the fan in Mark's office, she's going to look out for me. Um, so she reports back that everything's awesome and the show is great and whatever. And so he doesn't really worry about it. On the other side, you know, Robert has a whole network to run. And whereas he, um, he puts Skip Chasen, who's one of his top creative guys is, is involved in the show. Robert is one of these guys who has spent his, uh, career kind of going against studio executives and network executives. And he's never wanted to create an environment where there was this middle management that had creative, uh, say so over anything. And so there's not a lot of layers at Del Rey. You know, it goes to him, it goes to Skip, uh, it goes to Legal. And, and, you know, I think in over 100 episodes now that we've, that we've shot, I think I've had like three notes from the network. I mean, they've been wow. so minor. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, still, I'm not even on a show right now, and I'm still dealing with notes from my last one. Are you kidding Dude, me? And <laughs> the way TV works now, and like even with Apprentice, you know, I'll, I'll get five or six different passes and notes and i and sometimes it's like 16 pages of notes and anyone who works in reality television knows that you can give notes forever i mean it can just go on and on and on and on and, and, and that's the disheartening thing and to me that's my advantage because i can get people i can get editors and i come and I say what you give me is 99 percent what's going to air and and so creatively you're on the hook for it and I think as a showrunner, you have to do that with people because that brings out the best in people. If I tell a, a writer or an editor or, or somebody um, who works on the show, what you, what you create is not going to be messed with. That's what's going to air. They never phone it in because it's, they feel a personal connection to the work. And, and I know that from years of, of being an editor and knowing that um, my first cut was going to be gutted and it was going to be torn apart and some 26-year-old network executive was going to give me moronic notes and I'd have to do, you know, spend the weekends away from my wife and kids because I'm busy working on, you know, cut 17 of some stupid reality show. If you take that out of it, you get a very committed and, and passionate crew, you know, and creative people want to work for you. Even though it's the, one of the smallest shows on the TV dial, I have a lot of super creative people that are way too good for a, a show of this budget who are willing to take a cut and pay to have that kind of creative freedom. And I think that, um, you know, that's one of the things that, that that's sort of the magic behind Lucha Underground sometimes. Well, okay. So while we're talking about your editors, put these guys over because I think they might be some of the unsung heroes of your product. Like we know mm -hmm. Skip and DJ and Roach yeah. and, you know, the guys we see at the temple and even the cameraman because your jib guy is awesome. Love that yeah. dude. Yeah. But who are your editors? Put these dudes over. Like what All are right. they doing? Got, How do they we, make this thing? We got three editors, and these are guys that I've known forever. Um, three of them are Barry Murphy, Ryan Hermosura, and Nick Stoller, and uh, um, they're like brothers to me. Like I, I like uh, Nick and Ryan were both assistant editors for me back on Contender eleven years ago, and you know, uh, if you know, I like to think that I helped teach them how to edit, but I think they've both sort of exceeded where I was, and they've gone on, and and they're more creative and. And, and more clever than, than I think I was at my best. Um, but these are two, three guys, and Barry, he cut the pilot of Bully Beatdown, and that was the first place we worked together, and he was so funny, and he had such a good sense of humor. Uh, and, and, you know, they have a good scenario right now because Ryan cuts the vignettes, um, Barry and Nick cut the wrestling, 
all three of them are kind of closet wrestling fans. They won't really admit it, but you know, there's a couple rock yeah. t-shirts deep in their closet somewhere. <laughs> and and uh, uh, they work from home because we don't have enough budget to have them come into the office. So they, they've set up avids in their, in their living rooms or their, their bedrooms or their offices at home. And they just email me cuts once a week. Um, Ryan, Wait, who whoa, 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 you're yeah. an EP. You're not standing over their shoulder bitching about stuff uh, and spilling no, coffee on their desk. <laughs> no, I don't, I, look, these guys I trust, you know, I mean, I've known, I've literally known them all more than 10 years. So we've worked together. We've edited together. I, as an editor, I used to take Ryan's work and I would sit him down next to me and I'd say, okay, this is why I'm changing this. And he would feed me like, you know, in, in reality TV, you have your finishing editor and then you have your um, your B and your C editors and stuff like that. And your finishing editor takes the other cuts and they change them and they work them in and they try and smooth everything out so that it looks, well, those guys did that. We all worked together on teams, you know, in the past. So we know each other very well. Um, I, you know, we have a shorthand that I could just kind of say, Hey, you know, how about a little more of this or a little less of this, or don't jump the line here. Or, you know, we just have this kind of, you know, quick, fast, three-word dialogue um, where we get it. And they know what I like. They know what I hate. And, and uh, it makes my job very easy um, to have these guys there. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're the best. I love them. You know, they, they, when they're not working on Lucha, they work on The Voice, they work on Survivor, and they work on uh, um, um, uh, Shark Tank. And, you mm -hmm. know, they've all got multiple Emmy nominations. Um, and, you know, they do this because, look, they get, to, they get to stay home and they get to do something – creative and fun. And, um, I, I just tell them, Hey, you set your own hours. If Wednesday morning, if I don't have a cut of the next show, then we'll say something. But as long as I have the cut Wednesday morning to look at, I don't care what you do. And, you know, now I think they've gotten it down to, to where they can have a lot of free time and a lot of freedom to do what they want to do. And they're happy and I'm happy. And, you know, it's a very happy, creative family at, at, at Lucha Underground and it's small. And this is, this is I, I think, where people are going to, oh, he's got to be working us. It can't be that good. Because it's, it's amazing. Like, I mean, you got guys like Chris Roach, who's an EP of a giant show somewhere yeah. else, who yeah. is not the number one guy at your show. Yeah. I mean, and he's coming in and working with a smile for you. Yeah. You know, and that, that's amazing to me. And then, like, when we had Kevin Cross on the show, the guy who's just come and done a couple dark matches or whatever he says he's done because he won't fucking tell us. Ah, the boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you can tell us if you want, though. Um, Kevin but, Cross but he, is awesome. He will be a part of Lucha Underground soon. That's what I'll say. All right. We'll all take right. that. But he comes on the show, and he is just, I'm like, he's like almost in tears talking to us about how this is a fucking family. Like, this is the first time he's felt like he's part of a family. Like, his mother kicked him down the stairs, and Eric Van Wagnen's at the bottom to pick him up and cradle him like a little baby or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, we hear this time and time again, and it even comes from us as believers and the people who are coming to the shows. Like, I don't think that people really understand how tight knit and how close and how much of a family a lot of this whole thing really is. And, and you know, that's sort of built through strife. You know, I don't know. You, you guys were there in the early days. We had some rough weekends there at the temple. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, when you have long term relationships with people, you know, like the lighting guy, you know, he and I spent four months in Singapore together shooting contender season four and, and, and the editors and the cameramen and you know, like a lot of these guys, you know, we've, we've put the time into e with each other and, and, and like Tony Jensen, um, who is a vampiro psychologist in uh, season two, he was my line producer on tough enough. And he was my, and he worked on the early seasons of apprentice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've known him forever. Um, you know, Josie who, who manages, 
um, uh, the, the live events, Josie, who you guys have to be nice to in order to get the good seats. And <laughs> she and I go back to the contender season two, you know, which was 2006. And so, you know, it is a family, but it was a family before Lucha Underground. We've just sort of opened our doors and made, made a bigger family. And a lot of that is just because, you know, Mark Burnett Productions is, is a really great place to work. And, and, you know, it's MGM now and it's changed and it's not the same as it was 10 years ago. But, you know, back then it was, um, we felt like we were doing something um, that was kind of revolutionary and the te- te- it was going to change television. We all felt um, uh, appreciated and well-paid and rewarded. And, and uh, you know, we, we, friendships, you know, if you're, you've got to spend all this time with people, you might as well spend it with the people you like and the people that you trust and the people that have your back. And, and um, you know, I, it, do- it does definitely feel that way. Um, and, and a lot of it is because um, wrestling is a tough business and people get kicked around a lot. And, um, you know, the, a lot of people in the wrestling business lie uh, all the time. And I think when you just come in and you treat people um, like you would on any other TV show, they respond that way. You know, they respond with, um, with a sense of, wow, I, I feel appreciated and I feel taken care of and I'm going to give you my best work because of it. And, 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 you know, we don't have the money to, to compete with some of the other bigger groups. And so we need that sense of loyalty from, from the people on the show. Well, so- Top to bottom. So- so I got to ask you the, the, the kind of tough question that comes out of that is, yeah. A, you are doing this basically on a TV budget from what I understand, which I can't even imagine how you make a wrestling product when you're trying to budget out line items for, oh, and you've got all these mouths yeah. to feed and different things to, to keep going and you know guys who want to work and this and the other thing. And you've got guys who are coming in with AAA gimmicks. Then you've got guys who are characters that you've created yourself from thin air. And then you've got guys who are their old wrestling personas that they're bringing in that they may own themselves. Like, how are you guys dealing with like the, the intellectual properties and merchandising and, and all of the other mm-hmm. stuff that a wrestling company deals with every day, but you guys, you know, are kind of coming from a TV side. How, how the hell you manage that shit? It, it's hard. Uh, we've made a lot of mistakes along the way um we were we're learning you know the hard way and a lot of this sort of stuff and we are still adjusting our contracts and still adjusting our employment agreements and yeah we look we've we've fucked it up as much as uh, as anybody has and and uh um but but you know our lawyers that you know we have mgm lawyers so they're good um <laughs> you know we're not just some tiny little production company i mean it's as small as the lucha underground um, staff is we do have the heavy hammer of MGM behind us. So when uh, when we need it, we have lawyers, we have people who can um, stick up for us and and you know do the real uh, sort of the power lifting uh, in those in, in those situations. Um, but we haven't. Yeah, every situation is a little bit different because you're right. You're exactly right. Some of the gimmicks are owned by AAA. Some of the gimmicks are owned by the only individual wrestlers. Some of them DJ and Roach have created, and then they belong to the LLC. Um, and it's everything in between. And sometimes you take a guy who comes in, you know, and he's Willie Mac out on the Indies, but he's the Mac at, at uh, Lucha Underground, and we own the rights to the Mac, but he owns the rights to Willie Mac. And, you know, look, it's not a perfect science. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who've learned how to um, sort of um, sneak through the cracks and come in and, and utilize some of our talent and some of our IP in ways that are not against the contracts, but certainly outside of the spirit of the contracts. Um, and uh, you know, we, we, we're trying to um, we're trying to be fair, 
But at the same time, you know, we have to survive and, uh, and we have to protect our IP as we go. But it, there's, we haven't, the long, boring answer to your, to your good question was we haven't quite figured it out yet, but we're working on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, dude, it scares us as fans because it's like, oh, wow, this dude just pissed off AAA down in Mexico. Is, the, is, that, is he going to still show up in Lucha Underground? Or, mm -hmm. you know, oh, this guy is an indie guy, but he's out there sneaking his gimmick around from Lucha Underground. Is he going to get a slap on the dick or whatever? Like, we're we're always petrified yeah. as fans, like, because I think we can even sense how volatile and touchy some of these situations are and how much it might not be set in stone yet. And, and, and you know... It's it's a hard thing because you know you you, you want to follow um, the 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 hard line contract that everybody's agreed to, and you try to do that. But at the same token, I'm a human being, and I understand that you know to be in this business, you have to you have to survive in this business. You know, every dime counts. You know, these aren't guys that are out there, you know, making money and buying a second home, you know, at the beach somewhere. These are guys who are trying to feed their family. They're trying to feed their kids. They're trying to do this in a way that allows them to do this, the, the job that they love um, and not have to go get a nine to five in a factory somewhere, you know. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the human side of me wants to say, hey, as long as you show up on Saturday and Sunday and you give us your best work and, and you, you put it all out there, uh, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get my nuts in a twist over whether you sell something on the back of your truck. Um, but, but there are people who do care about that. And, and, you know, um, uh, it, it is a business and, and our, our, our partners, uh, have invested a lot in this. And so I have to be the boss sometimes and, and uh, you know, tighten tighten that up a little bit. But it, it's always a gray area. I mean, there's more gray areas in this goddamn show than in any show I've ever <laughs> ever worked on in my life, and it, it keeps me up at night. But well, but, that's why there's 75 podcasts yeah. about it now because we can all <laughs> talk about these gray areas for hours because yeah. there's so much cool stuff. Like Wrestling I, fans I, are crazy, man. They're just yeah, it's wild. You know, well, I, you see the 75 podcasts on The Apprentice, and we draw 10 times the audience. Oh, exactly. Well, you know, but it's just like that because we, we, we get invested in it and that's part of it. And mm -hmm. I think what has supplanted old school kayfabe and full belief in the characters that you see in ring is now the, the wrestling fan or the smart, the smart mark or the smangry mark, as it may be in Casey's <laughs> case. Um, is it okay to call somebody that? Is that like outside of hashtag like... Hashtag smangry? No, a smart <laughs> mark. Like some people get mad when you use that term. Some people do get very mad about it. But the, but the simple fact yeah. of the matter is like, you know, I used to listen to to Ryder and Borash on the internet and this kind of thing. And nowadays, it becomes more exciting and a bigger way to invest if you're a real fan to know a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. It makes the whole thing an actual hobby um, as opposed to the casual fan who just wants to sit down and see two guys kick each other's ass. There's too much wrestling to me on TV for that to still just be the only entertaining part of it. It's like, I want to know more i want to know who some of these guys are as people or who they're yeah. representing or how far they're going to take their kayfabe like i think that's where you get all these podcasts because you know guys like like me and j man from the last real heels we think very similarly about a ton of things but at the same time you could listen to us both talk about it for 20 minutes and it will be a completely different experience there's it's also, just a strange phenomenon it's also i mean lucha underground is only an hour a week when the season's airing and when everyone gets together for the tapings or waiting in line for like half a day, a full day. And we're just always talking about it. And when 
when the tapings go away or when the show isn't on, there's that there's that void that we're trying to fill. Like there's more of a thirst for the product, for the discussion of the product. And I think that's why there's so many podcasts because you're just getting together with other people and talking about it. And there's the technology to upload it and share it real easily. Is but it, everyone just wants to keep talking about it. And, and you know, the, the thing for me, it's kind of funny. It's kind of sort of odd. And, and you know, coming from reality TV, you know, you, you know that people are watching it in a very relaxed, kind of easygoing way. When we did Bully Beatdown, the, our joke on the set was, let's make a really good hot dog today, guys. You know, we knew we were, make, we knew we were making hot dogs. You know, we, we weren't making filet mignon. We weren't making high-class stuff. We were making hot dogs. And why not make a good hot dog? You know, and, and but now when they watch this, it's almost like they're, you know, they're government auditors going through your taxes. You know, it's sort of like they're trying to catch you fucking up somehow instead of just kind of like sitting back and relaxing it and eating a yeah. hot dog or eating a taco and, and enjoying the show. Um, and that's sort of the part that, that takes a little getting used to is you know that every decision yeah. is going to be, you know, microanalyzed. Um, 18 different ways, and and f if you're lucky, 51% of the people will line up on your side. Well, and we're look. trying to figure out the stories, man. Like we don't know if something's. Well, a that's clue. cool. That I like that. Yeah. I like the fan theories are awesome. In fact, the fan <laughs> theories sometimes are better than. <laughs> <laughs> what we don't tell Casey that. Don't tell him that. You're oh, gonna blow yeah. up his whole head. He's gonna we, think all his fan theories are better than your shit. Don't tell more, him. More than once, I've sent a fan theory to DJ. Going, I don't know. That's pretty fucking good. Anyway, <laughs> <I> feel that. <laughs> but yeah, there, there, there's some clever people out there, you know, and I appreciate it. I love the fact uh, that part. I love. It's when it's it's just that you know sometimes it's the overly you know negative analysis of it. Like yeah. they're trying to find and look, everybody's a. It, listen to me, you know, wah, 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 poor me, somebody doesn't like the show. That's not what I'm saying. It's sort of like, uh, it's it's just that, you know, wrestling fans watch it from a unique perspective sometimes. You know, and I think that comes from, they want to watch wrestling, but they don't like people judging them for watching wrestling. So it sort of becomes like, yeah, I know it's fake. I'm watching it because, you know, I, I'm going to shit on it or I'm going to tear it apart. Or I'm going to be critical of it. Yeah. Um, we get defensive as wrestling fans and don't get me wrong I have nitpicked the hell out of your show from time to time I've always said on this show that if if we're not going to tell our friends what we honestly think about something yeah. then we're not friends at all so I, yeah you know, I do that too you know I, I my brother and I you know when we watch each other's shows I give him shit over stuff that I think is stupid you know, or doesn't make sense. Or if mm -hmm. if Jeff Probst got too too into somebody's shit, I'll get mad and I'll call him and I say, "Hey, why'd you do that? Why'd you include that? That sucked. I didn't like that." And he does the same for me. So, um, you know, th like that's that's sort of normal, I guess. You know, it's just that wrestling has a has, a, has they personalize. It's very unique. Well, I mean, well, we so, yeah. we saw you got a little bit uh, chewed up on on some of your comments on the the deletion thing. Yeah, we got to bring oh. it up. God. No, but I mean, it I, just, saw, I don't really care. I saw about DJ uh, on a podcast um, said that he liked the final deletion, and I was wondering if that made it a little awkward between the two of you. He said he told he said that on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think he said. Oh, okay. Show, right? <laughs> uh, is there a head writer opening now? <laughs> so you know what? What do they say? About all wrestlers lie. Is that what they say? No, you know, for for. For me, it was like it was interpreted the wrong way. First off, when I saw those promos, like the early promos, I thought, oh, you know, there's a very fine line between parody and imitation. And I kind of like thought, hey, they're, they're kind of parodying us a little bit. That's kind of funny, you know, with the baby and all that crazy stuff they did in the promo. And, and, you know, it was really just like 
I put my EP hat on and I was like, wait, the, the, the colors aren't matching between those two cameras and that camera was framed wrong and that camera was out of focus and wait, that music didn't hit in the right spot. And it's sort of like, I wish that they had taken that scene and handed it over to Ryan Hermosura or, or Nick Stoller or Barry Murphy yeah. and they would have cut it together totally different. And it, yeah, it, and I'll, I'll say it for you because you don't even have to say it. Uh, I can tell you right now, the camera work in that segment was not good. I, I will say this, it's, though, and I'm going to put them over for this. That fucking drone was cool. And yeah, bad. If, if, <laughs> if uh, I, I looked at that and said, shit, that's cool. I, I, I would like to do something like that, but the, the drone laws in, in Los Angeles are really Dude, Drone laws, nothing. Oppressive. That thing will get shot out of the sky just to steal the yeah. batteries in yeah. Boyle Heights. Didn't we? Uh, drones got no chance in Boyle Heights. <laughs> we, we did use drones on, on season one, but the drones in the match, like I give them credit. That, that I liked. That was cool. I just, you know, honestly, it's like that kind of, but see, that stuff is really expensive to do. You know, to take a show, two-hour show, and send it to a color corrector, you got to spend some money. You right, know, yeah. um, it's it's not cheap to to. But have look a for that segment. As, as much longevity as they got out of that segment, and in, in retrospect, it would have yeah. been worth it to shine that thing up a little bit more. But look, I, you can't spend somebody else's money, and mm -hmm. you know, I, I you know, I feel bad even knocking it because there's probably a, a a producer and an editor sitting somewhere and is like, "Fuck that guy! I only had this much money and this much time." I don't know. You Borash know? and Matt might have cut that thing themselves, man. I think they might have financed that whole thing I mean, out of pocket because I mean, Dixie was broke that day. Yeah, well, all I'm saying, if, if, if you're going to go there, you got to be prepared to spend some money and, yeah. and go there all the way. Well, well, I just thought it was interesting in not necessarily what your comments were or whatever, because I took it exactly the way you just said. It was like, oh, it's a TV guy commenting on TV stuff, exactly what I do to you all right. the time, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or different. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, man, when the wrestling fans started to pounce on you, I was like, holy shit, is Eric prepared for this? Because it's yeah, like, no. you either got to go the full Vince Russo and Jim Cornette and just talk ridiculous smack all the time now, or yeah. you got to fucking just fade back from it and be like, shit. Oh, uh, here we go. Cause no, I never no want to talk about it again. I, I don't, no. I'm not a, I'm, I have no desire to make myself a household name of Mooch Underground. I'm happy to stay like back behind the scenes and talk, you know, yeah. I mean, something like this is fine, but, but, you know, I, I work for Mark Burnett and Robert Rodriguez and, and, and I say all the time, like they're the two guys that are the face of this uh, uh, organization. And they're the ones that should get the credit because they're the ones that found the money to do it. So they're the most important people. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I wish I hadn't, I wish I just kept my stupid mouth shut. Um, <laughs> you know, they, uh, like, yeah, they, they, they I got, I got a lot of angry, angry <laughs> abuse. Well, and, and uh, for people that aren't from wrestling, like sometimes in the wrestling <laughs> world, that angry abuse, man, some of these guys feed off of that because they're used to being heels and getting heat. You clearly are not a heel, Eric. You're, no, you're, you're not a heel. <laughs> I, my feelings were hurt. I, <laughs> You know, I see, I get stuff like that on the internet, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah, here we go. Let's do yeah, this. You know, I'm, but, too, you know, I'm, 40, I'm 48 years old. I wasn't raised uh, with, you know, internet comments. I, you know, <laughs> I, had to just, I literally just turned off my Twitter for a week. I was like, I'm, I'm just, I, I can't take any more of this. Oh, we all knew, too. We felt bad for it. I think yeah. we even mentioned it on our podcast that week of, like, poor Evie Dub is probably, like, huddled yeah. in a corner right now trying to dodge the the. the <laughs> <laughs> looks from his computer. Yeah, that, um, yeah, it was bad, but oh well, it happened. So, I, I want to ask you about um, just criticisms in general of the Lucha Underground product. Like, how how do you take this? Because wrestling is a very fickle market. I see like a lot of WWE fans will beat up the product. Mm -hmm. uh, I got mad 
uh, at some of the comments that I, I was seeing being thrown at Stryker about the commentary on the WMD match because I loved it. But I feel like a lot of times his commentary is for me. A mm. lot of these WWE fans just were brutal about it. I mean, like, and, and what do you what do you guys do I, with that info? I, I, I look at it uh, in a very simple way, and that is, um, you know, and this is a lesson I learned from reality television. The most important thing you can have is polarizing people. Uh, the worst thing you can have is somebody. And look, I'm a I'm a I'm a milk toast middle of the road guy. I, if I were on one of these shows, they'd be like, who? Which guy is that? Oh, the other, the old guy? Yeah, no, forget it. Like, you want people who polarize your audience. They got to either love you or they got to hate you. And anything in the middle is 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 death. Um, so as long as Striker and Vamp are on one end of the spectrum or the other, I'm okay with that. Um, does that uh, Striker is a pretty? Uh, he's been he's pretty sort of um, thick skinned. He can take it. Sometimes when we're in uh, in the audio mix, he'll say some stuff that feels sort of like too far out there, and we will pull it back and we will take it out and we'll call him and say, "Give us a recall," and we'll we'll pick some or pick something up the next time. It's not a ton of that, but there is there is a little bit. Sometimes we we pull him back and vamp as well. We have to sometimes because you know if you know vamp, <laughs> he can go into some very dark places when he starts talking. <laughs> Talking, talking about the occult and weird shit that happened to him in Mexico City and when he was <laughs> Krav Maga and, and, and uh, vampire cults and, uh, you know. <laughs> but personally, I'm constantly entertained by those two. And, and look, you know, I, m maybe I'm not the right audience, but, but, but uh, I do think that they um, bring a uniqueness. And sometimes um, it's better to have a lightning rod out there that catches the heat so that, you know, your other things that are more, you know, the wrestling part of the show, you know, nobody, if they're too busy shitting on striker, then they're not, um, they're not attacking our talent. That's okay too. You know, if well, that's the worst, if that's the worst thing that they can complain about. I think that's okay. Hey, no one was going to be attacking the talent in that WMD yeah. match period. Yeah. That thing was amazing. That was a, that, you know, and to, I credit DJ and Roach on that one. Cause they had to talk me into that. Um, at first, you know, that was when I read that script, I was like, uh, do you think they can pull it off? And they're like, trust me, they can pull it off. And so, you know, I always do better when I trust those guys and the show's always better when I trust those guys. And, so how um, does, but how does something like that work? So basically it came from DJ and Roach, the idea, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. then like who agents it and makes it happen in the ring. And then how do you get that through the edit in the timeline that fits the show? Like, how do you, how does that go from idea to, to what I see at home and enjoy? Uh, well, originally it was supposed to be a ladder match because I think they had that last spot in mind. Um, but I didn't want it to get lost in the, um, uh, in sort of like, you know, we have a pretty high standard for our ladder matches. If you go back and you look at, you know, the ladder matches that we've had, they've been pretty spectacular. And I, and I didn't want theirs to get lost in all ladder matches at Lucha Underground. And I was a little worried that they wouldn't be able to, um, you know, raise the bar that high. I'm not worried because they're both awesome and they're great. I just didn't want to get lost in the shuffle. So I said, what, could you call it something other than a ladder match and just come up with something cool? And and they came back with that. And I was like, great, that, that sounds even better. It's the only one we've done. And it was, but it was essentially a ladder match. It just, right. you know, it had better props. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, when they shot it, you know, we shot that, that one we shot in, Late March, middle of March of this year, and it just aired what two weeks ago. So we had a lot of time to 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 work it. And the hardest thing is always getting the shows to time. It's never about filling the show. It's always about cutting it down to time. And sometimes, 
you know, you have to cut out the slow spots in the match and that's set up and selling and, you know, hardcore fans get mad when we do that. But, but, um, you know, we have a 45 minute maximum on Lucha Underground and, you know, it can't be 4501. So something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, see, we love it because a lot of times we were there to see the live version anyway. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to see the different new version of it or how they put it together. You, how did it hold up for you guys? Because I know you were there, but how did it hold up when you saw it on TV? I thought it was awesome. We couldn't see. We were on the other side of the ladder, so we couldn't see the actual mm-hmm. finish. We just saw, you know, the jump from the top. Uh, so that was really cool. Decapitate herself, though. And then. Yeah. 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 That one scared me, too. I got to yeah. say. Yeah, that that was a close call. But it's 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 interesting to see over the different seasons, um, uh, see wrestling fans adjust to the editing element that's brought to the show. Because you'll read um, how the first matches went, and everyone is critiquing the live wrestling match. But then yeah. you see it on TV, and it looks great. And yeah. it, everyone's used to live shows are better. Live shows are better. SmackDown just became a live show to make it better, mm-hmm. but ultimately what lucha underground is doing and people are getting used to is you're making it more polished and you're making it more precise and, and, and does that affect the performance art of it i you know that's uh, that's up to the fans i mean that's a yeah. it's a it's a valid point but we we couldn't do a, we don't have the budget to do a live show you know we, Let's <laughs> see, we cool shit if it's not live like have katrina teleport and shit it's awesome yeah i think it's yeah. kind of better that when you guys do it and and sometimes we blend the vignettes with the, the live element. And I'm not sure how well that works, uh, but we're still sort of playing with it. Um, but the vignettes, you know, are, are a completely different animal. They shoot on different days. They um, uh, they all go through Skip Chasen, who not only directs them, but he's an amazing editor. I mean, the guy is um, one of the top trailer editors that has ever existed. And uh, he is like a savant when it comes to taking something uh, and just elevating it. I mean, he's just, he, we're so lucky to have his, and the, the good thing is, is our editors, our three editors, um, they have such respect for him and they want nothing more than to make him happy every time they see a cut. And when he shoots back a little note that says, you know, he's one of these two word emailers and, you know, he'll write, <laughs> he's <laughs> this sweet guy and he'll write back a little email that says like, cool beans, you know, <laughs> the exclamation <laughs> point. And like, they'll frame that, you know I mean? It's like, it's like the coolest thing ever when, when Skip likes your work. And so they're not cutting for me, they're not cutting for the audience. They're cutting because they want a pat on the head from Skip. And, and um, occasionally Skip will take something and he'll change four edits and it'll take it from a B to an A, you know, just in those four edits. And, and um, so we're really lucky to have that, that extra layer of creativity in, involved. All right. I got to ask you another tough question that, mm-hmm. uh, or, or criticism that we hear a ton of yeah. intergender wrestling and, and where it's going, because look, Lucha Underground is, is got a women's division that I feel is stronger in a lot of ways because they're doing intergender wrestling than a lot of what WWE is doing right now because they're trying to put each other over within their division and it doesn't look as good as when Taya say is wrestling cage and all of a sudden it's like fuck she can go with cage women's divisions nothing whatever she's just great and it takes the whole women out of the whole thing but I'm curious where you stand on those criticisms because boy they're out there and they are strong yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's it's co- a controversial thing. It existed in Lucha Libre long before 
uh, MGM and, and uh, Robert Rodriguez got involved with Lucha Underground. So it's not like uh, we're we're the ones that have you know trailblazed intergender wrestling. It's it's been around in Mexico for a long time, and and part of what we wanted to do is stay true uh, to Lucha Libre tradition. You know, the Exotico. You know, we didn't create Pimpy. Pimpy's been making a living, and Cassandro and all these other people have been making a living being an Exotico before. Is that controversial on American television? Yeah, kind of, if you think about it. You know, I mean, there were some people that thought that that was insensitive to have uh, Pimpy, uh, you know, out there prancing around and kissing and, you know, putting his butt in people's faces. But we didn't invent that. He's been doing that for 25 years in Mexico. Um, so part of it is we just, we are, we are staying true to Lucha Libre roots. Um, secondly, you know, shit, first season, we didn't have enough females on the roster. You know? <laughs> We're still <laughs> we not that many yeah. either. I know, I mean, we couldn't do Eva Lisa against Sexy Star, you know, every other week. We couldn't do that. And I actually think that some of our women, just the style they are, look better when they're going against men. They look more powerful. They look stronger. And, you know, it's also a credit to the guys. They're, they're incredibly, uh, uh, they, nobody gets all macho and crazy about it when they, when they have to, you know, put Taya over, you know, or, or, or make her look good. Um, anyone who does that doesn't last long with us. You know, it's sort of a, a team effort. And when you're out there and, and, and uh, um, you know, we want our females to look just as strong and as badass as, as, as our men. And, and it sort of also kind of fits into our version of kayfabe, which is not the standard version of kayfabe. And it's a reminder of that. Um, no, so. it's, it's, I don't, we got to come up with a new name for it. Like we have case fabe on this show where it's whenever you cross one of Casey's lines in the wrestling world, it's case yeah. fabe, <laughs> but yeah, Lucha Underground kind of needs its own Rodriguez, you know, big kahuna burger form of K, K fabe. We need <laughs> Red, a Red 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 fabe. fabe. It's like Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter. Everybody fights everybody. No one bitches about it. You yeah. got people, people's heads off in those games. What the fuck? Has there been kind of a learning curve with how you're presenting your female luchadors? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a learning curve with everything on the show. I mean, you know, there's never been anything that I think we've just done perfectly from the jump. I think, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, do we see all the comments and read the criticisms and, you know, some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. And there's some stuff coming up in the season that, 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 you know, some people would be pissed about and some people won't be pissed about and think it's awesome. And, and you just, you just ride it out and you just try to say, you know, you hope that, uh, um, um, people will, will hold, uh, the, you know, Lucha up against its own standard and not necessarily everybody else's. And it, look, it's not going to be for everybody. Not everybody has to love Lucha Underground. I don't get mad if somebody says I don't watch it and I don't like it. That's cool. Well, I don't, there's a lot of shows I don't like and watch. I remember uh, season one when you're doing the um, uh, Cine Havoc and Helico and Eva Lee stuff that it was sort of going along that traditional macho women can't fight or even sexualizing Eva Lee's in the ring, like yeah. even briefly. Yeah. Um, yeah. We did a quick 180 on that one. Yeah. Um, that was a, uh, that was a, we, you know, after that, that aired and we were taping the next episode after the intermission it was literally, we pulled everybody into my office upstairs and said, hey, we had very angry people out there. We need to change. I love that, though. You were actually able to change it day of because I feel like a lot like of times. Like 20 minutes before. And it became, it became uh, the, the scene where, um, where uh, Matt 
you know, was, was we, we switched it from what it was originally going to be to Matt then taking the mic and saying, you've been holding me back, you know, you're dumped, boom, boom. He gets over it. And as soon as that happened, we all went, ah, that was right. Well, I think figuring <laughs> that, that out got them all over. I really do. I think that that working it out process, people were feeling that there was some real natural tension and some things that weren't right there. And I think it actually got the whole gimmick over even better. Yeah, there were some upset people in the audience that day. Um, and, and I got chewed out by a, a journalist um, as, I, <laughs> as they were walking out for, for, uh, for uh, the intermission. I, I was just kind of like doing my normal, you know, walk around rounds. I was headed back to, the, I don't know, the stairs or whatever. And all of a sudden, I just, I got an earful. Someone started kicking my ass right there in the aisle. And I thought, hmm, okay, well, maybe he has a point. We should probably go talk about this. So, <laughs> Well, if Casey is mad about anything throughout this season, just understand it's because you didn't put the strap on Pentagon at the end of season two. He's still bitter and angry about it. He's going to be bitter and angry about it for a long, long, long time. It's my cross to bear. I'm sorry. Still mad about that? <laughs> well, I just look, think of it this way. We like the long con, you know, we're the long play. We, nobody, nobody gets an easy ride right to the strap. You know, you, you got to earn it. And Casey is always ready to fall for the long con. All right, here's my personal criticism of Lucha Underground, Eric. Cool. It's merchandising. Oh, yeah. I feel like Lucha Underground has a disadvantage in coming from the TV side because you're not Vince McMahon trying to line his pockets with just cash out of nowhere because I feel like there should be some more masks for sale, some more T-shirts, some hats, some more character T-shirts. Like when that Pentagon shirt finally hit, Brother, come on, you can't tell me there wasn't some bonuses involved that day because I know those shirts sold. Sold out in the first day, absolutely. Um, you're right, you're right. Um, that's not handled by the MGM side of it. That's handled mm -hmm. by the LLC side of it. Um, they have a team that, you know, they're, they're trying to, like, they, you know, this is, we're all sort of adjusting to um, the demands of having a, a, a wrestling product on the air and there's some learning curves and there's some things that are done wrong and things that are done right. But you know that I do not disagree with you even a little bit. Um, uh, but that's not under the MGM Mark Burnett productions side of things. That's a, it's a different team of people. And, and uh, you know, we were quick to suggest things that we think will sell because there is, there's a different, um, there's a different taste. I think for the wrestling fan, they, you know, they, they like more individual shirts and and not you know the typical sports shirt you know with the lakers on the front they would rather have the marty the moth you know or, or you know mm -hmm. it's like they, they don't play for the team they play for the individual so i think yeah. that there's a little bit of a disconnect that yeah and it's um, an individual sport like look ufc is dealing with that problem now too that reebok yeah. stuff doesn't sell because now it's a team uniform but it's an individual sport and a team uniform as for sales wise doesn't make sense like i want the crazy weird logo and dan hindo's american flag it's all tattered whatever it's like i don't want the yeah. ufc reebok logo and this thing that looks like everybody else's thing that's not what you want but you, you know, know but those things always complicate everything i know from bully beatdown once a uh, mayhem uh, uh, thrashed a trailer because i wouldn't let him, let him wear his tap out mayhem robot shirt you know and he got really mad at me <laughs> but it wasn't my fault i was just being told by lawyers that he couldn't you know he couldn't be doing that um yeah. it complicates things when you do that and when you're you're um I, I agree i think reebok is about as bad a fit for the ufc as you could ever you could ever create i mean you know, Reebok to the UFC is sort of like, you know, bagel bites to Lucha Underground, but hey, you know, you're going to, you got to, 
gonna make it work. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. The Bagelbite thing was totally funny. Those guys came <laughs> in and gave us a ton of free stuff, and and that was our tip of the. the it was almost like a parody of of product yeah. integration for us. That, that was legit one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I, it was so funny. <laughs> so much. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we just do shit just to crack ourselves up, you know, yeah. and we're like, ah, fuck the audience. They'll 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 hate us for it, but it's funny. Um, uh, and I think people got the joke on that one. So that I have seen nothing but positive comments. <laughs> people have bagel bites. It's a hundred percent. There's a lot of really funny people that work on Lucha Underground and they come up with really funny stuff. And a lot of times it's like when you have a show that's so earnest and serious and dramatic and, you know, dark forces at play and blah, blah, blah. Every once in a while, you just got to be funny. You know, you just got to have something that makes that cracks everybody up and that, that you know, keeps the, um, the audience laughing. You know, because it's supposed to be fun. That's the whole point of this, right? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, I know you got to get out of here soon, yeah. Eric, too, to get to your online. But I got to ask you, yeah. what do you want to put over for this season? What can we look forward to? I mean, you got some new guys coming in like Sammy and AR Fox and Paul London now, who I know has been doing stuff behind the scenes, but he's going to be in front of the camera. Like, what, what, what do you want to put over for this season? What's the big stuff that we can actually talk about? Um, I, you kind of, you know, look, I'm excited for some of the, the, the new talent that, that shows up in season three. Um, you're going to start seeing promos, um, uh, coming up real quick, um, that are going to make you laugh that are going to be, you know, <laughs> weird and hilarious and out there. And, you know, Paul and his little faction are going to, I don't even need to put them over cause they're going to get over, you know, I, I don't need to say a word about it. Um, same thing with Sammy and, and, and uh, um, AR. I don't, I don't, I don't need to put them over at all because they're they're coming over whether you like it or not. People are gonna love them. I mean, they're crazy and they're out there and they're funny. And boy, did they put on some good matches. And you know, there's some other people coming in and and uh, you know, I, I think uh, three is is um, it's got some weird stuff, vignette stuff coming and some strange stuff. And there's uh, you know some of the trademark Lucha Underground violence and 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 gore um and uh you know just enjoy it for what it is it's fun we're not trying to be anybody other than us and you know just want the audience to to laugh along and 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 have a good time watching once i'm gonna have fun watching it that's that that that's good enough for me i can't wait to see personally how cobra moon gets on that throne and gets some little minions or whatever she had bowing down to her that's going to be because this is stuff that we don't know we're like we i've been in the temple we've seen matches i don't know what the hell you and skip shot so like we see the yeah. we saw that trailer that was almost all vignette stuff and it blew our damn minds it was like holy shit why the fuck does cobra moon have a throne why is drago breathing fire what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> Where's Pentagon? Like, what is going on? Like, literally, we had yeah. an hour and a half podcast about a whatever three minute video. Yeah, really yeah. I the thing I'm looking forward to the most is AR Fox because, legit, based on in ring work alone, no spoilers, he is now my second favorite luchador and lucha underground behind Pentagon Jr., and that is not faint praise. And and that is not hyperbole either. Um, mm -hmm. damn. That's all yeah. I'll say. It's just, just damn. Damn. I mean, th there's been a few spots of his where I legitimately was terrified, you know, yeah. and, and like, <laughs> you just don't need to do that, dude. <laughs> you know, we love you. We love you. We don't want anything we love bad you. We want you back tomorrow. <laughs> we want you to be able to work for us for a long time. You've got the job, bro. You've got the job, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, but man, 
that dude is just cool, isn't he? He's just yeah. he's he's. He, he, yeah, and as unfortunate as it is that you guys didn't get him in season one or whatever, he, he was like, supposed heard, to be part of the crew originally. Right. You know, so, I heard. I had heard I that. And I was just like, he was going to be the the crew originally was um, was uh, people got sensitive that we were that we had this sort of like little faction sort of gang that was you know African American and then they were going against the Mexicans and and it was like oh god everybody had already was like oh this is like. Let's not make it that. And oh, like, whatever. Come on. Keeping it real. Drive down the street. <laughs> yeah. you know, they, were, they were actually going to be called the Crenshaw Crew was going to be their, their original name. And they, they X'd that as well. So then it just became the crew. But I thought Crenshaw Crew was a way cooler name for them. That would have been um, dope. And yeah. I was like, Crenshaw runs all the way from downtown LA all the way down to like Redondo Beach. And there's yeah, uh, 87 different neighborhoods in Crench on Crenshaw Boulevard. So there's like Asian neighborhoods and Hispanic neighborhoods and black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. Crenshaw is a long street in LA. Anyone who knows that Crenshaw, um, but, but you know, everybody was being real careful at first because they knew we were where we were going with this stuff and they knew it was going to be uh, out there. And, um, you know, different, and, you know, so I think everybody's relaxed and we would have probably be able to get that name through now if we did it, but, um, yeah, in this day and age, half the crew's dead now. So they, they're all dead now. So what do you do? Um, look, we uh, normally talk MMA a lot on this show too. Anything before you go that you want to talk about MMA wise? I know cyborg had her big weight cut that she made today, by the way, she actually hit she? 140. He pounds. looks like shit, dude. <laughs> it was oh. scary. It's scary. She had to get in like this spacesuit bag. She has like a sauna bag thing in her hotel room where she can shed like 17 pounds uh, the morning of or something ridiculous. And she just she looks like she's like, in a fucking iron lung. Oh, I want to see what she looks like tomorrow. It's, it's attempted suicide every time she cuts I, weight. It's ridiculous. I, I was, I, you know, like people do that. It's, it's crazy. I, I was a high school wrestler back in the 80s and just doing that. Just, oh, it's so horrible and so terrible. But, you know, what can you do? You can't. Uh, uh, it's part of the sport. You just got to deal with it. That fight with Ronda will be made eventually. There's too much money on the table. Ronda ain't retiring. You know, they all say that. Floyd's not retiring either. Um, you know, it's just gamesmanship. The, eventually, the money will catch up. Well, and the, the, that right now is actually an interesting story too because, you know, Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez both said that they wanted to fight each other at Madison Square Garden. And yeah, they pulled that and, away then, right? It's not happening. Right, but now Dana is saying, no, it's Khabib, you know, and he still wants to push Jose uh, Conor fight to happen. But Eddie Alvarez is the one that's holding out and he's saying, no, no, Conor wants me. I want Conor. He's not signing the agreement with Khabib Nurmagomedov, who has two signed agreements, one for 205 at Madison Square Garden and now one for 206. And Eddie is not countersigning him. He does not want to sign it. He wants the Connor fight. So I have no idea how that's going to play out. I'm Maybe I'm blinded by my uh, Eddie Alvarez fandom, uh, you know, thanks to, to Bully Beatdown, but Eddie beats Connor. Oh, I, I think so too. Easy. But I want to see Eddie get that fight because I don't know if he beats Khabib. Yeah, different style. Yeah, and, and but Connor's a moneymaker right now, so he can't lose two out of three, and he's done. So you got to put that off as long. You know, you look at it from the promoter side. It's like he's got to put that off as long as possible because that's a real dangerous. That's that's bad for the organization if you know you the guy who's been selling all your tickets for the last two years you know loses two out of three matches. You got to protect him. You know that's the business side of it, but the fan side of it wants that fight, and I think Eddie wins it. 
Yeah, I, I honestly, it's all good for me. I like Khabib too. I like Connor. I like Jose. Like you throw any of these guys in any combination, I'm watching it. I'm buying it and spending the money. Um, what I don't want to spend money on is another Canelo Alvarez fight against nobody. Like, what the fuck was that? Hey, Liam Smith is. I uh, like. Okay, I I disagree with you on this one. Okay, now we're now now we got heat, you and me. All right. Well, oh wow, here we go. <laughs> because, because okay, well maybe it's because uh, Paul Smith, Liam's brother, is an old friend of mine. He was on Contender, and and he comes to L.A. He stays in my house, and so I'm I like the Smith family, and 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 Liam's a stud. I'd rather a guy who knew he was outmatched, who went out on his fucking shield, man. He went out there swinging. I would watch that fight 10 times before I'd want to watch another Floyd Mayweather fight. You know, Floyd Mayweather against Andre Berto. Fucking kill me now. And I was in the audience for that one. Um, I, but I, I'll take the guy who's outmatched, who, who just fucking all nuts and guts, and man, just goes for it. Like that to me, even though I knew after round two, Liam didn't have a chance. He, it, like, uh, there's something in that story of that fight that was very compelling. And I would watch Liam Smith fight again. Right, but the marketing leading up to it too, and the buy rates. I mean, it was like a three hundred thousand or something. It was pretty sure. dismal. But that's because you got a guy like Canelo who who said and called out Triple G, yeah. into the ring, calls the guy out, well, says you're my next fight. The, you know, the English champion, which never does well in the U.S. Yeah. Well, and I, I get, but I mean, he calls the guy out, and then days later he relinquishes the belt to the guy and says, "No, no, I'm not going to fight you. Maybe we'll do it in 2017 or 2018." Like, I think that's yeah, they're under the misguided impression that America cares about that much as much as they cared about Pacquiao Mayweather, and they don't. Um, yeah, but know. I think what's going on in the UFC, um, and boxing and wrestling, everyone should kind of look at this. It's like people do want the super fights, people want to see, regardless of what the capabilities necessarily are, they want to see their big stars and their favorite people go at it. And sometimes you know the guy's going to lose. You know Connor's not going to beat everyone at 170. You know, mm. but at the same time, you know if if you know sexy star meets Brian Cage or Mil Matan, you know Mil Muertes in the dark alley, she's not going to win that either. But in Lucha Underground, she might win. Yeah. You know what I mean? And people want that kind of super match element to all of these things. And, and there's money in it. It's like, to me, honestly, if Connor were to fight Eddie Alvarez and lose, I'm still going to watch the next Connor fight after that. Yeah. I don't care anymore. He transcended to that next level of, I just want to see this guy fight. Chael Sonnen going into Bellator now. Yeah. I'm excited is the same about way. that. I like, oh, well, you know, Chael's on the new season of uh, Celebrity Apprentice. So I, I needed a bad guy. I needed a villain. So uh, I will officially watch every episode that he's on now. <laughs> and he does not disappoint. I mean, he is Chael Sonnen from day one to the day he finishes the show. He is Chael Sonnen. And it's hilarious. You love it. Return of the bad guy. Return of the bad guy. Well, well let's, let's, let's end it here then. Thank Why don't you, you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your celebrity apprentice? Send us out with some of this because this is your next big thing coming up, and it's Trumpless. It's Trumpless. It's Trumpless. Who's it the is boss? The Arnold Schwarzenegger version of Celebrity Apprentice, and he's hilarious and he's funny. And uh, for a guy in our age group uh, to, you know, to be able to to sit there and be in a room and be like, oh my god, I'm sitting here with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's the coolest thing ever. Uh, he's everything I hoped he would be. Um, I go into these interactions with these super powerful people, very jaded and very um, with low expectations. And you always set the bar very low when you're dealing with these kind of people because you just always end up, you know, hating them afterwards. I loved Arnold. He was amazing. He was funny. He was smart. He was great on television. Uh, he was just a cool guy. Really, really exceeded what I had even hoped that he would be. 
Um, I wish he was running for governor so I could vote for him again. But but uh, uh, he's good on the show. He he really sort of takes it seriously, and he's smart. You know, people don't understand. He was a multimillionaire before he ever made Conan the Barbarian because he was really smart about real estate and business, and he had ten different businesses that he started, and and he has a lot of interesting things to say. So it starts January second on NBC, um, and uh, it's awesome. Uh, watch Lucha Underground. Um, and then TiVo uh, Survivor on uh, CBS. I, I know that's what, what this is all about originally. Well, so. And you get Roach You get Roach back now too, right? Isn't Big Brother well, done? There's back? a Big Brother that's shooting now, actually. Oh, that's right. They They're doing like that a, over the top thing, trying to make me buy CBS app. Yeah. All, um, hey, look, I, I think that that's great. Like, I love the I, I love when people try things that are outside of the normal. I mean, whether they, they fall on their ass or not, I don't know. Um, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but it's a bold thing. It's kind of like the WWE app, you know, it's like, that's a bold thing to try. And, and, you know, I love to watch it play out, you know, the big money's at risk. Um, same thing here with CBS and it's good if, uh, Roach is working and, um, we'll get them when we need them. Um, and, uh, yeah, so what, yeah, I guess I don't want to plug Chris Roach. In well, yeah, you know, who you don't want to plug is is DJ because in our MMM show uh, Lucha Underground Awards this year, we had a a best backstage jefe award uh, between you and DJ and Chris Roach, and we threw Stolman in there who got zero votes. Sorry, um, yeah. but uh, DJ beat you. Uh, he should. You, you, were, you were a close second, but DJ won, just so you know. So at some point in time, whenever we make our T-shirts, we're going to give DJ a shirt, and we're not going to give you one. I, I, he absolutely should win that. That uh, He does all of the hard work on the show. I, I really just uh, I just you know show up and try and smooth out people's hurt feelings. But DJ does all the, <laughs> he does all the hard work. I, I, I get the fun stuff. Byron, you got anything else you want to add before we lose uh, Eric and, and then discuss his show behind his back after we lose him? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the risk of, of ruining um, the quality of the show, I have one more question. Um, well, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, how you were surprised about the audience, about you've done other combat sports shows and the Lucha mm -hmm. Underground crowd is very specific. Um, but I have this question first, which is much more important. Um, in a game of uh, Mary Fuck Kill, uh, where would Roach, DJ, and Stolman place? <sighs> wow. <laughs> I think I have an answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'd kill Stolman. <laughs> Somebody's got to ring that bell, man. Yeah, I, I can find somebody else. Uh, uh, Just uh, get him post. I'd, I'd, I'd fuck DJ. And I'd marry Chris Roach because Chris is married. He already knows, and he has a tender side to him. Chris Roach does, and I think that 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 has all that you need for a long-lasting and loving relationship. Uh, yeah, so I'd I'd marry Roach. I'd I'd fuck DJ. And believe me, I'd fuck DJ plenty. <laughs> I, every time I call DJ, I feel like I'm fucking him over in some way, shape, or form. And then uh, I'd I'd have to kill Stolman. Sorry, Stolman, but you know, somebody has to be killed. <laughs> All right, good. I love answer. it. That's very sincere, actually. If I, that's that, that's true, exactly how it's a, I'm not bullshitting. That's how it would play. Good measurement of, of where you are with people. <laughs> and uh, thanks for this awesome shirt, by the way, yeah. that these other two idiots don't have. I'm glad I was at the taping of the 100th episode of I Lucha was Underground. Sick. Oh. I was yeah, sick. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to make the wrestlers sick. I had something. 
You guys blew it. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig some up for you guys. All right, I, give oh, me some awesome. time. I, all our shit's all uh, somewhere, but I'll, I'll I'll reach out to you. I'll figure out a way to get you on it. Well, since Byron since Byron begging off a shirt from you is how we kind of got you on the show in the first place. I can't I can't <laughs> I argue with that. that. I have That's payment from all the uh, advertising for the show. How do I do? You think the internet world is going to hate anything I said today? It's not going to going to be too controversial. Yes. Yes. No, they're going to hate it. Okay. Shit. All right, I'm, I'm apologizing <laughs> no, I, now. I think I think you know, look, they, they they know if they come to our show, it's deep content. It's a ton of stuff they don't want to hear anyway. Right. They have to suffer through it if they want to get to the good stuff. That's just that's just our product. That's just yeah, Cubs fan, yeah. you better put us on the fucking front page of the Lucha blog for this, buddy. Yeah, everybody, go back to watching your piss porn now, okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we just lost the German viewers. <laughs> Hey, we're on TV in Germany. Give them a break. We love us. They love us there. Well, yeah. So how do that? That is, I got to ask this one question. How do we make this bigger, man? How do we get Lucha Underground bigger? Is it making El Rey Network bigger? Can you guys get on Hulu or Netflix <laughs> or what? What do we do? Go ahead. Tell us how to help out and how to make this thing blow I, up because I, think, I want it to stay. I think the for fans have done everything. I think the fans continue to do everything that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be you know, pushing and, and tweeting and, and, and getting people enthused about it. It's really, these are massive companies that, that um, are in play here. I mean, you know, MGM television is a massive company um, as is the, the, the El Rey network has got a lot of big partners. And, and then when you start talking about, um, you know, selling the rights to certain territories. You know, they have to negotiate the English-speaking version and then the Spanish-speaking version and then the streaming video on demand, who gets the rights to that. And there's just no easy way to make a simple deal, it, it appears. I mean, this is not something that I get involved with. I mean, I'm like you guys. I'm constantly asking, you know, uh, the people that I report to, hey, when, when, is, when is the Netflix deal going to be finished? When is, when is this deal going to What about foreign? You know, I know we're on in Asia now and, uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of relationship issues with a lot of the players that are attached. There's a lot of big companies that have a small finger in this pot, and and you know, they're getting anybody to sort of be all on the same page takes a certain amount of finesse and a certain amount of sort of political maneuvering. Um, and that's just a really cop out answer, I know, but but that, no, that's but the uh, truth. I, look, we're all hoping for the same things. I really do think like some kind of video on demand thing, uh, aside from iTunes, Agreed. is going to be what really kind of puts it over the top. Because I have a feeling that guys like me will sit down and binge it finally. Mm -hmm. And and when you can watch two or three episodes of this show in a row and get the broader scope of it, people are going to be like, "Oh shit, why have I not been watching this?" Like, yeah. Bad was the same way. I didn't watch yeah. season one or two of Breaking Bad when it aired, but I man, when that shit came on Netflix after that, I watched every episode live from that point on. Yeah. At Walking Dead, same thing. It's like if you if you, uh, it, it will only actually feed the El Rey audience to to put it out on a streaming service. Um, and I, I think everybody understands the modeling that has happened with that and, and wants to do it. it. You know, it's just um, it's a hard sell because it's not a show that you can say, oh, it's like this. You know, right. it's not like anything. And, and so every deal, it's so much easier to come in with a product that's like something else and that fits a mold for what they've done in the past. Uh, and that, you know, a buyer can sit there and say, oh, I get it. The show is like this. This is a wrestling show, but it's not. And it's, it's is it in Spanish? Is it in English? It's kind of both. And, and, and you know, when you're talking about millions of dollars, people need uh, uh, to know what you're talking about. They need to be able to understand what your show is. 
Um, so, you know, there's a lot of education that has to come on and, and uh, that has to be um, and a lot of good selling that goes on around the show. Um, but we're working on it. You know, there are people who are actively working on it every day. And uh, hopefully we'll have some um, more announcements before well, the end of the year. I hope that uh, your show doesn't get canceled anytime soon because I really don't want to do a uh, podcast about crocheting with Casey and Byron. That hey, would, God, what's God. up with that commercial for Sling? <laughs> they shot that so long ago. I couldn't but like, I, I'd forgotten about it. I, re- I remember <laughs> being over there when they were shooting it, and I was looking in, and I'm like, why does he have an ironing board? Like, what? what, what, what? <laughs> no, he breathes fire. That's how he heats it. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. He, hey, look, Sling has been good for us. We, we like yeah. Sling. Sling, Sling. Uh, those guys have been out. They've sponsored some stuff. Go out and get Sling if you if you want. Uh, if I watch cord, on cord cutter. You watch it on Sling. You happy with Sling? sling. The, you happy with the Sling product? Yeah, Sling is great. I watch because that's what that way I get to see it on the East Coast and I can live tweet it. I'm sometimes a couple seconds behind, which stinks because I won't get retweeted or stuff like that because I'll be a little behind. Lost but at the same time, I, I I wouldn't have a way to watch it on at the East Coast time, and I can't yeah. wait the extra three hours, man. I'm over that shit. Yeah. Well, then get Sling. Yeah, exactly. So they they were one of our first people who got on board with us. So so uh, I'm I'm grateful and want everybody to, who is a cord cutter to get sling the sling service. Do it. I did it. All right, Eric, you got to get out of here, man. You got an online to get to, and I if move. we fuck up, you making the next episode that we get to see, we're going to be giant idiots and assholes. Nah, the stuff gets done with or without me. Trust me. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank guys. you so much for being on the show, thank dude. You, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Keep watching Lucha Underground Wednesday. Another one coming. This has been an amazing show. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, come back next week where we will have a whole bunch of stuff that's probably not nearly as exciting, but now that you're addicted to us, we're kind of like the crack cocaine of your podcast life. So uh, for that guy, Byron Fever over there, that guy, Casey Nielsen, and for me, myself, and I, uh, until next time, stay calm and stay in the mix. Stay in the mix.